Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. Well, good evening. It is good to see everyone. Um, grateful for this opportunity to preach, and thank you, Noah, and the team for leading us in worship. When we were standing and singing, I told Sierra, I said, you know, uh, when we were we were singing, I was like, man, I really enjoy Noah and the Ark singing, and I was like, I think that should be the name of their group, and she. She kind of laughed, but she doesn't think my jokes are that funny. So, um, yeah, she did laugh at that one, but she usually doesn't laugh at what I have to say. So, uh, she humbles me. But um, tonight we're going to be in First Corinthians, First Corinthians, the first chapter, and we are going to look at uh, verses eighteen through twenty-five. And as you see the title, The Powerful Wisdom of God, this honestly, uh, when I was really starting to kind of grow in my faith, I went to, to this text, and whenever I was struggling as to whether God was um, leading me in this specific path of ministry, uh, God really used this text to confirm it and speak to my heart. Uh, and we won't necessarily, we won't cover the part that really spoke to my heart whenever I was dealing with that, where he says, consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. We won't cover that part, but we will cover verses 18 through 25. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, we read what Paul writes. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God." Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. After going to the postseason two years in a row, uh, in 2001 and 2002, and professional ba- the professional baseball team, the Oakland Athletics, better known as the Oakland A's, uh, were not predicted to go back the next year in 2003. In fact, they were expected to be the bottom dwellers of their, of their division because several of the big-name star players 
left. They're free agents, so they decided to sign with bigger teams with uh, a higher payroll, such as the Yankees or teams like that. And so the general manager of the time, uh, who is well-known in the baseball world, his name is Billy Bean, he had to try and figure out, what am I going to do to give our team any chance at, at making the playoffs because we have one of the lowest uh, payrolls in the major leagues and our superstars have left. And so it wasn't very long before the fans started really disliking his methods and, and, and even the manager, uh, managerial staff really weren't on board with his planning strategy, but he decided um, to use more statistic-driven uh, data to try and get players, maybe not as well known, maybe not that would bring, uh, maybe wouldn't bring as many fans because they weren't as well known, but were, you know, pretty good players and could could help the team at least maybe win some. But to the fans, since those superstars weren't on the team anymore, several of those superstar names weren't on the team, and and he was going about the plan that way, they were thinking, you are foolish. I mean, it's, it's idiotic to be doing what you're doing. No one in the baseball world does this. Everybody goes for the big name stars. But he wasn't doing this, and he knew that if he just had these few good players on the team, but everyone else was, you know, subpar, not great, they wouldn't go anywhere. So he decides to use this method despite the, the hatred of the fans and even the manager and not only did they end up making the playoffs, but they set the record for the most consecutive wins in a baseball season with 20 straight wins. And in baseball, you know, that's unheard of. If you win five games in a row, you're, you're doing pretty well. And so you see um, his method and how it, it seemed foolish to those that were the fans and all of this. And they even made, uh, there's a book written about it and a movie made. And uh, the movie actually costs more than the team's payroll at the time. Shows how, how much he was working with or how little he was working with. But the movie Moneyball, it's actually a really good movie. Uh, but of course, I'm a sports fan, so it is, I just like it. But his method... Um, at the time, now teams across the league use it, but it was very foolish to, to the fans and to um, the front office and, and all of these people. But he didn't really care it, because it was effective. And at the end, the, the fans didn't care because their team was, was in the postseason. And, and as, you, as I was thinking about that and, and how he didn't really care what people thought, he was doing his job uh, despite what people said, what people thought, he was staying the course to make his team successful. And in a lot of ways, the gospel, presenting the gospel to the world, as we see in our text, is, is a very foolish thing. And, and living your life out for the gospel, living your life out for Jesus Christ, in the world's eyes, in the world standard, is a very foolish investment. It, it, it's, it's a waste of time. It doesn't bring about much uh, material good, if any. And so the world deems it foolishness. But in this text we see with what Paul uh, writes, I think there are four observations that we can take from this. We, we see uh, the power of this seemingly foolish message. We see um, how the world is confounded by this message. And then we can see... Uh, potential obstacles to this message, but then ultimately we see that this message, the gospel, overcomes all obstacles. 
And I think we find that in this text here, starting in verse 18, let's, let's read there. Paul writes, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, this word foolish is where we uh, get the word moron from, actually. And so, in a way, it's, it's like saying, uh, preaching this message, living out this message is a foolish, moronic way to live. It, it's not a good way to invest your life. And, th- and as I was studying this, I was thinking about really in Paul's day, especially, because he doesn't say, he doesn't necessarily say the gospel here, even though that's what is being, uh, even though that's what he means. He says the word of the cross. Now, we look at crosses today in our culture. We wear them as jewelry, and, and they're they hung on walls, and that's great. I mean, it's, it's a great symbol of our faith, obviously, but in that time, you weren't going to see someone wearing a, a cross as a piece of jewelry because that was the form of execution. And so, especially in Paul's day, to say that you can be eternally redeemed, that you can be restored, that, that you can be made right with God through a man dying on a cross, that, that was just unheard of. That did not make any sense whatsoever. And who would want to get on board with that because that's how criminals died. And of course, uh, not many people wanted to get on board with that, and Paul knew it, and he says, so the word of the cross to those that perish is foolishness. One writer puts it, the death on the cross was associated with the idea of all that is shameful and dishonorable. And to speak of salvation only by the sufferings and death of a crucified man only made Paul's listeners want to scorn the message he had to share even more. So it was hated in Paul's day and and I mean, it's even hated today, and I think there's even a growing hatred of it today, but especially at this time in Paul's ministry, the cross was not something that, that really made much sense to, to follow a man that, that died on a cross. However, we know that Paul doesn't end there. What does he say? He says, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul didn't care what the world thought of him. Paul didn't care um, what the world might do to him. He knew that the gospel was the power of God. And he later writes writes it in Romans uh, 1.16, that very well-known passage, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we see, I think that's a beautiful picture as well because we see Paul's message never changed. It was the same throughout his life and ministry that the gospel was and is the power of God. It was his motivating force along with love to serve God and to reach the world with this message. And in spite of the world deeming it foolish in Paul's day, he, his goal and desire was to rescue those who were perishing. I think about uh, growing up and seeing the hymn, Rescue the Perishing. You all know that song, Rescue the Perishing. Care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. And, and weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. And that was Paul's mission, as it should be ours as well. And, and moving on, he says, he quotes from Isaiah 29, what Kate read earlier um, at the beginning of our service. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom 
of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. And as we will get to in a moment, we see uh, throughout the, the Bible and throughout, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, um, it, you see God working through the, the simple things and God confounding the wise and the wisdom of this world. And he did it in the book of Isaiah and Paul's quoting it. He did it in Paul's life, Paul's time, and he is doing it today. So we see the power of this seemingly foolish message to the world, that it is powerful, it's the power of God, and it is effective. Now, we can see also how the world is confounded by it. Looking in verse 20, Paul writes, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Here I think we can kind of see a little bit of Paul's personality here, maybe a little bit of his, of his sarcasm maybe. I don't know. But he says, where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? So, so where is the scribe? Where is the well-versed person to, to, um, to really give a legitimate objection to this faith? Where is the, the scribe? Where, where's the debater of this age? Where's the person who is skilled in philosophy, but uh, who can give a legitimate objection to this faith? And, and Paul is basically saying they're nowhere because it, it can't truly be done. Now, there are a lot of people that give objections to the faith. There are a lot of people that, that give seemingly effective objections, people that are going to be way smarter than, than me. Um, but the gospel confounds the wise. And he says, where are these people who can properly do this? And, and he argues that there, that there are none because has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? We, we see God putting uh, the world and the world system as it is to shame many times throughout Scripture. You see in Genesis, uh, God confounding the world through, through Noah as he warned the people to repent and they wouldn't do it. And God uh, used Noah to build the ark and, and all this. Then you see in Exodus, as he confounded the Egyptians and, and Pharaoh um, through the life of Moses and, and God's people. You see it in Joshua as the people of Jericho were confounded by the battle strategy of Joshua and, and his army. And then you see it in Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar being just amazed and the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not burned, and not only that, they, in the furnace that he saw four people, the, the wisdom of God, as we will see later as well, confounds the wisdom of this world. And it's very evident, and, and it's, it was evident in Paul's life, and it's evident today through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see that uh, he says, for since in the wisdom of God, in verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Now, when I say that, that God has used this message to, this seemingly simple message to confound the wise, I'm not saying that there are not intelligent people that, that are lost, that, that have not trusted in Jesus Christ. There are phenomenal minds that God has gifted who are, who are not Christian. Uh, but if you, if you study 
these people, especially you know, ancient in the ancient days, ancient philosophy, and, and just what these people were able to, to discover, come up with, and, and all of these things. They're geniuses. But on their own efforts, they were not able to get to God. They weren't able to figure out how is man made right with God, and that is why Jesus stepped into this world. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, came into this world. And, and to me... As I think of the gospel and as I think of this time of year, Christmas time, when, when Jesus came into the world, when Christ came into the world, all these different religions saying you have to do this and this and this to, to reach up to God, and God says, no, I am reaching down to you. I am coming to you. To me, that's, that's about the most beautiful picture of the gospel that there is, is that God with us, God is coming for man. And we see him reaching out to man today through his spirit. We see him reaching out today through his word, through the reading of his word, as we can see how man can be made right with God. He says, For since in the wisdom of the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. We have this message. We, we as Gambrel Street Baptist Church, have the message that not only changes lives, but changes eternal destinies. And we should be motivated. That, that should just stir within our hearts to reach those around us, our, our loved ones who don't know Christ, our friends who don't know Christ, the community, um, those that do not know Christ. We have the message. What a privilege it is to be able to carry the message that contains the power of the Almighty God. We also see the potential obstacles that there are when it comes to the gospel. Paul addresses this in verses 22 and 23. He says, For indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. So many people, if you have witnessed to, I mean, just a handful of people in your life or just have remotely talked about the gospel, you will find so many excuses for people to not come to faith in Christ, for people to not repent of their sins and place faith in the Lord Jesus. And Paul addresses this. He says the Jews, they're, they're sign seekers. They say, well, you know, if, if, if God would do this, then I would believe. If, if he would say this or send this, then, then I would believe. I remember talking to uh, a man I once knew who is a self-proclaimed atheist, and he told me the only way he would believe is if an angel from heaven came down and told him to believe. And I said, I honestly don't think you still, I still don't think you would believe if that happened because God has given us everything that we need to trust him. And you would come up with another excuse. You would have said that was rigged or something, but I honestly don't believe you. I think that is an excuse not to come to faith in Christ. Not only do I think I know that because God has given us everything we need in his word and through his people, and by his spirit. But he says the Jews require a sign. I think about uh, the crucifixion in Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 42, we read, And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also along... Uh, with the scribes and elders were mocking him and saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. So Paul is right. 
He's saying the Jews require a sign. If they would have done this, if Jesus would have done this, then we would have believed. That's just, that's just an excuse not to submit to the Lord. But then he also says the Jews seek signs, but the Greeks, the Gentiles, they search for wisdom. They think that's all there is to it. You, you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. That, that can't be all there is. That's, that's not very, that's not very uh, wise. That just seems very foolish. And you often hear that whenever you're trying to share the gospel, when, when you're trying to reach those with Christ. What a foolish message that is. You're, you're wasting your life by sharing this with me and trying to live this out and telling me to do the same thing. So Paul wasn't ignorant. He knew that there would be many that would give him excuses. Not only, he, he didn't just know that by thinking it. He knew it by experiencing it, by sharing the gospel. You think about in Acts 17 when he shared the message. It said many sneered at him. But then there were also people that, that were wanting to know more. But he knew that there would be excuse after excuse after excuse for people not to trust in the Lord. And so he says, some seek signs, Others search for wisdom. Then what does he say? Does he say, so as a result, we just give up? We throw in the towel? No, he says, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. What a way to, what a way to put it. He says that we still, in spite of all this, no matter what, we still preach Christ crucified. We still share the gospel. And, and he says uh, later that I, I try to become all things to all people so that I might win some. And, and while he did this and, and tried to reach those with whom he was in contact, he didn't change the message. He, he didn't compromise it. He didn't try and tweak it so it would, it would uh, maybe compel someone a little more to come to Christ. He let the Spirit of the Lord work in the encounters he had with people. So he said, as a result, I'm still going to preach Christ, even if it is a stumbling block to the Jew and, and foolishness to the Gentile, I'm still going to preach Christ. And finally, we see with these potential obstacles that lie in the way of sharing the gospel, that the message of the gospel overcomes all of those obstacles. Verse 24 we see, for consider, or, I'm sorry, verse 24 says, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It is the gospel, as I mentioned, where the true power lies, that, that it is the power of God unto salvation. And he says, as a result, because this message, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What many people see as a stumbling block, there are still going to be those that hear the message and realize that he is the chief cornerstone. And that although there are going to be many people that say that this is foolish, there are also going to be many people that say that this message is true, it's true wisdom, and it is the most beautiful message. So, even if you're in your encounters with your family and friends and, and just acquaintances, if you never lead someone to Christ by sharing the gospel, if you always receive negative encounters, that doesn't mean your work is in vain. 
I, when I think about that, I think about the life of Jeremiah and his calling. And basically when God called him and said, hey, I'm calling you to uh, warn my people. And by the way, no one's going to listen to you. I mean, if we had that same calling today, I think we would kind of be discouraged like Jeremiah many times. In fact, uh, many of us would probably give up. I know that I would consider giving up. For, that's, that's for certain. But God doesn't call us to, to share the gospel and, and let us bring in the results. He calls us to share the gospel, live it out, and be a faithful witness. And so as I think about this, this time of year, as I think about this beautiful message that many people mock, that many people um, you know, just say this is foolish, and in this time of year of Christmas, a lot of people, it's a shame, don't even think of the gospel. It's my prayer that Gambrel Street, that our goal would be to just live it out. And with those lost family members we might have or lost friends that we might see over the holidays, that our goal would be to love them with the gospel. There's no greater way to love than to love someone with the gospel. So before we close, I have to ask, what do you do with this message? I don't know where you stand with God. I mean, uh, you, you could be going to church for years and years and still have not truly trusted in the Lord. I know that I faked it for a while and, and there came a time where I realized I am not right with God. And I had to come to the cross, repent of my sins and place faith in Christ. And once I did, I recognized that this message wasn't foolish, but indeed it was and is and forever will be the power of God. Let's pray. Our Father. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.